Hello and welcome to the Free Associates. That's right, folks, the Free Associates, the freedom of association, the freedom to associate with any idea or anything that comes across our path. Because you know what? Freedom is just like pretty good, although when it isn't, and then freedom isn't good anymore, and then we'll rename the show. But until that magical, mystical moment, we're going to try to let everything in. We're going to try to be absorbent, and we're going to try to just like enter this conversation as the amateurs that we are, and exit the conversation as probably even more amateur than when we started, because it's very hard to know anything. These things are so vast. We're literally floating. We're like flotsam and jetsam on this giant ocean of knowledge and information and data that's coming in. And and Waylon and I, less our guests, our guests seem like they're swimming, but Waylon and I just kind of float on our backs and drink our beer, basically. Is that what we're doing? And so if you're listening on the radio, it's WMUA Amherst. We're so glad to have you. This is a rebroadcast from the day before when we're on Facebook Live. Now, we have the Free Associates page on Facebook Live, or Facebook, rather, and we also have our own webpage, thefreeassociates.us. And look at this awesome card. Now, you guys know if you've been watching that I designed this. Get it? No, no, I'm not hypnotizing you yet, Waylon. I'm just showing them the awesome card I had made days before That's That's the Pavlovian response over here. Oh, that's right. Put it, so you flash ready. it up, and all of a sudden, it's like right, one of those venomous I'm, snakes. I'm going to hypnotize Waylon now, okay? I'm just going to get that light just right. Waylon, you will do everything I tell you to do on this show. Even though you have the controls over there, I am controlling your simple mind. Boom, Waylon is now my... He thinks he's in control, folks, but yeah, he doesn't even know that happened. Isn't that spooky? So we've been doing a series from Politico, and they're short pieces, and we've been looking at them. I thought yesterday's conversation was really good. I was very very excited. But there are other times where I just leave really angry. What did you think yesterday's conversation? Are, you, are we going to run for office again on the direct representation line, Waylon? Yeah, let's let's do it. Come on, let's man. steamroll the competition over here. 2022. 2022, man. <clears throat> I actually have a neighbor whose oldest son is a real tech expert on this subject. So I'm going to try to get him on the on the Zoom. Um, Anna, how are you doing over there in Washington DC? Washington DC. Right. But you're a you're a Brooklyn Brooklyn person. Yes. And displaced. True. Yes. How has it been treating you? DC? Yeah, just like uh, Getting out of New York and the whole gym. Yeah, I mean, it was it uh, it was intense, and I I feel very conflicted about it because I know how intense it is in New York and how a lot of people have left. You know, the whole white flight thing from New York, Mm -hmm. and that I guess I'm part of that, um, which I'm a little ashamed of. But um, I'm here with my parents, and I'm happy to be here with my parents and. Pam's parents, my husband uh, lives in D.C. too, or yep. was, grew up here, so his parents are here, so we're able to be together, and his sister actually lives here too, so her kids are here, and our kids uh, are yep. getting to see their cousins more than they ever do normally, so all of that is really kind of a blessing, yep. And um, but yeah, it's weird. It's, it's weird. weird, but you know, yeah. everybody's got to take care of themselves in some way or another, and you have kids, and uh, you know, this is just the way it is right now. Um, I'm yeah. hoping that things are starting to calm down, but uh, in New York yeah. and in general, we might be looking at the peak right now and then coming back down. So I'd be curious. I had a fond memory of you uh, from all those years ago when we were up at Marcada Studio and I was filming the Pussycats documentary. You remember that? Yeah. And I remember that was the first time we really connected well. And that was like 
05 or something like that. And then there were all these creme de cows. Everyone was drinking creme de cow and we recorded Loop to Loop that night. It was a lot of fun. So it's funny to think about, you know, time's passing. And ever since 2000, the world has seemed different. You know, Y2K was real. That was actual. Like that happened. It didn't happen the night of New Year's, but nothing's been the same since Y2K. You know, you had that 2000. I remember exactly. 2005 that's that's dating yourself i was in i remember well y2k i remember i thought the world was going to end i was in middle school and i made out at midnight with this girl because we thought the world was going to (laughs) collapse around us (laughs) good for you good for you you got a good angle absolutely now waylon did you actually think the world was going to end no, not at all. Oh, okay, okay, cool. All right, well. I thought my Nintendo 64 might not work yes. for some reason, that it didn't connect to the internet, but that was about it. Planes would be dropping out of the sky and your Nintendo wouldn't be working, so that would be tough, <laughs> definitely. Was um, there any fallout from Y2K? What's that? Is there anything that happened? Did, did anything happen? I remember so. nothing happened. Yeah, a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of programmers got rich, let me tell you that much. Yeah. A lot of people made money off of that. But, you know, it was one of these, again, you can't make this stuff up. When they were designing computers, they put the prefix 19 before every year in every program. Like, they, computer scientists couldn't anticipate the year 2000 when they were writing their programs. And they wanted to save on memory. So they're like, why don't we just make this 19 every time? And then... There has, to be, there has to be more there to it than that. I no. think it was some binary thing no. where it was like the no. next year, next year. But. No, no, no. My parents are computer scientists, and that's what it was. They were just like, we'll never reach the year 2000. <laughs> I don't know what it is. That's why, that's why Prince made the song, Party Like It's Night That's what it is. But listen, ever since then, you had the election of 2000. How crazy was that? You had the housing crisis. Obama gets elected. No one saw that coming. Uh, Trump. Pandemics, I'm telling you, Y2K happened. All right, now before I get too spooky, do you guys want me to read the piece we're going to do today? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so this is called The Rules We Lived It By Won't All Apply. Astra Taylor is a filmmaker and author of Democracy May Not Exist But Won't Miss It When It's Gone, (laughs) which I just think is a great title. America's response to the COVID pandemic has revealed a simple truth. So many policies that our elected officials have long told us were impossible and impractical, impractical, excuse me, were eminently possible and practical all along. In 2011, when Occupy Wall Street activists demanded debt cancellation for student loans and medical debt, they were laughed at by many in the mainstream media. In the intervening years, we have continued to push the issue and have consistently been told our demands were unrealistic. Now, we know that the rules we have lived under were unnecessary and simply made society more brittle and unequal. All along, evictions were avoidable. The homeless could have been housed and sheltered in government buildings. Water and electricity didn't need to be turned off for people being laid on their bills. Paid sick leave could have been a right for all workers. Paying your mortgage late didn't need to lead to foreclosure, and debtors could have been granted relief. President Donald Trump had already put a freeze on interest for federal student loans, while New York uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo has paused all medical and student debt owed to New York State. Democrats and Republicans are discussing suspending collections on or outright canceling student loans as a part of a larger economic stimulus package. It's clear that in a crisis, the rules don't apply, which makes you wonder why they are rules in the first place. This is an unprecedented opportunity not just to hit the pause button and temporarily ease the pain, but to permanently change the rules so that untold millions of people aren't so vulnerable to begin with. Huh. All right. I like that. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting piece. 
Um, obviously someone with a sense of humor. Anna, what do you, and I don't mean that in a kind of sarcastic way. Anna, what, what's your thoughts on that piece? First thoughts. I mean, I definitely, it, it, it rings very, it just resonates with me a lot because uh, as soon as this happened, I watched and we all watched as over the course of very few days, things started to fall apart so quickly. And the speed with which our system can disintegrate is just too, it's so alarming. Yeah. And it feels uh, unnecessary, like she's point, pointing out in this uh, article. It just, it does feel so arbitrary and stupid the way that we have things arranged it, that hang together so thinly and, and it's like a house of cards. And so um, it makes you think about every aspect of it. And exactly like she's saying, you know, I worked at a financial market research firm for like 10 years. And I knew nothing about finance when I started working there. And so, and it's a very foreign sort of world to me. And I did video production and audio production for them. Um, but I learned as I went and Occupy Wall Street was right outside our window. And I remember the attitudes of the people that worked at the firm that I worked in about that. And they would, they just, they were like, ugh, you know, those Occupy Wall Street people and the noise and they don't even have a point. And it was just completely, these, these were supposedly liberal people that I was working with too. And they just like, yeah. It's, you know, that was a, the way that they saw it. And not one of the people that I worked with could actually articulate what uh, what they expected to happen in the future with this idea of like perpetual growth. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what the entire financial system is dependent on. And so I feel like those two worlds, it was just like amazing to look out the window and see all these people, you know, I would go out there to Zuccotti Park and uh, see that going on and then go up into this, you know, this yeah. firm and anyway, but so uh, yes, I, I think she makes incredible points and I, I, I wish that it was amazing how quickly we went into immediately socialist kind of policies mm. instantly. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, so um, yeah, when the emergency happens, you can suddenly do it. Yeah, right. Well, that's right. I think that that's, a, that's the point. I mean, that perhaps I'm sure she's aware of that, but you have to have the political will to do it is partly yeah. it without an emergency or, People won't let you do it. They won't allow, and it, not just like socialism, but command economy stuff. You know where we're telling Ford Motors what to do. Like that's command economy. It's like wartime footing. It's probably not lengthy, yep. but Waylon, what are your thoughts here, pal? I can see you chomping at the bit over there. Go, go for um, it, man. I think that you need. I mean, the rules of the game are the rules of the game until the game changes. And we've had we've seen some game changers. We've seen some game changers when it comes to the 2008 financial crisis. And we can talk about how we got into that mess because of unregulated deregulation and, and just unregulated financial financial matters. But this is a game changer. This is this is life is not normal. And so you need to do stuff that are extreme measures. I think that after the, that this happens, we're going to go right back to the way that society was functioning. I think that hopefully we'll be able to extract some of those positives and to see that there can be some sort of uh, forgiveness or a leniency on some of the things that Americans struggled with before all of this happened. Mm -hmm. They struggled with, with um, you know, catching up with their debts. They struggled with paying their mortgages. They struggled with these things. And a, a system that is not forgiving is a system that needs a little bit more leniency. And we've seen that in this extreme case, there's, there's a lot of help but you also need to go back to those rules. You can't just throw all those out the window and, and go into a society in which you is, is a totally new society, or I, at least I don't think that we're going to head in that direction because I think that we're, we're taking measures right now, which are pretty drastic measures that need to be, that, that need to 
need to happen. But at the same time, if we were to operate under the assumption that we could always every every month send a $1,200 check to individuals. And aside from that, um, I've, I've read this article today, sending $1 million to certain individuals, it's just not sustainable. And so we need to we need to center everything back when it when it when all said and done. So, Anna, this is the whale dogs, what I would like to call the ricochet effect. (laughs) He believes that the I zig when everybody zags. Oh, I'm not even talking about that, my friend, although you are a a zigzagger. But I'm talking about he thinks the minute COVID is passed, everyone's going to be rushing back to absolute status quo normal. And I just think you're wrong. You know, Applebee's packed. (laughs) Applebee's will be packed. Um, it's funny because I was actually watching, I pulled up a bunch of big truck videos for, uh, for my son Rockwell. By the way, my son Rockwell loves it when I say, digger truck. Like he loves that voice. He just loves it. But one of the things that popped up, which was amazing, was this cruise ship being built in this giant hangar. And there was like hundreds of people. And I was just thinking, there's a bunch of people who are not going to be working for a little while. I mean, I, I just do not think, Waylon, you, um, are anticipating that certainly there's like emergency stopgap measures going on, but the the amount of diminished consumer, um, what do they call it, service industry stuff is going to be big. It's going to be big, in my opinion. I don't think people are going to be. Just, mm. just to clarify, you're saying mm. that when we come back from this, there's yeah. going to be a certain significant percentage that will never come back again. I don't think never is. Never is not the word I would use. It's going to slowly come back over. Could, could be ten years. Are we talking months, years? Could be years for the economy. First of all, the economy was 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 cruising into trouble before this happened. Like there were a lot of indicators. One of them being wealth inequality. Yes. Yeah, Anna, can you talk to that, or are you with me, or are you with Waylon on this one? Just I say. mean, I do, I do fear that things would go exactly back to how they were. I don't want that to happen. And and I, I see this as an opportunity, like many people do, to reset things in a better way. But yeah, I think we have the tendency to go back to the way we were. Like after 9-11, I thought for a while, things were really going to change. And they did. It felt different in New York for a while after 9-11. And then it sort of slowly crept back to the way everything used to feel. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I hope that doesn't happen with this. But I do think we are majorly in need of rethinking capitalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that this could, ju- I was thinking this could really jumpstart that conversation and make that, you know, I don't know. I, I, I honestly, <laughs> I want to think that it will change things, but I'm not sure that it will. Yeah, I think that's, that's kind of where I'm at too. And I'm kind of like, I don't want things to change so much. Like there is, it's kind of like landing a plane. You know, yeah, if it goes right. like that, like that could be cataclysmic. I don't want things to be cataclysmic, but maybe yeah. like you... And I think like Waylon, I don't want to box Waylon out of this. I would. There's some really structural problems that are like that have been going on really since the '90s, since Glass-Steagall was repealed and other things. You know that. Well, yeah. Go ahead, Waylon. Sorry. Sorry. The, the the problem that we're seeing that we're faced with right now is that this is a great experiment in uh, a more kind of democratic socialist environment. There's there's certain measures that we're taking that we are addressing shifting hopefully shifting some of that some of the um 
the burdens that we that, that the middle and lower classes have had because now everything's been exacerbated by by the crisis and we're we're shifting gears and and uh, hopefully addressing some of those things the thing that is unfortunate about that if you are somebody that is saying that this could be a dry run for change is that it's it's an experimentation during a time in which we hopefully we never it never occurs again mm-hmm. so Hopefully, you could have those th- th- this situation as an experiment. Could, we can both see this as an experiment and a dry run for, for some, some radical, in, in my opinion, beneficial change. But at the same time, it's, you can't go out to eat and you can't go get a, a beer at the bar. And yeah. so I, what I think is going to happen, and just to articulate my point, is that we're going to slowly go back into society and we're going to we're going to get right back into the old rhythm of things and we're going to, and these temporary measures are going to go away and we're going to have this kind of short term memory of, of how things were in a time that was a outlier on the system. I want to come back to something that you said before, which was, Jer- Jeremy was that you th- think that we can't afford to pay people a thousand dollars or $1,200 a month, whatever the million dollars, obviously we can't afford to do, but Andrew Yang thinks that we can do that. You know what I mean? That was his whole thing was, Pay people. And I mean, I have thought about that a lot. And I don't know what you guys think about um, that as a, as a concept. It sounds pretty interesting to me, but I'm, I'm very interested in what motivates people, you know what I mean? And whether it takes away your motivation to be given things or not. And how, you know, most of the sort of really rich people that I know, it can be a real problem if your kids are given money or too soon in their life and that kind of thing like that can really badly negatively affect people i would say probably rich kids are lazier than anybody else when it comes to that kind of thing when it comes to handouts you know um but so according to andrew yang it wouldn't demotivate people to be given that money and actually we could afford to do it well here's the thing and, and anna i've thought a lot about this um i think he's a smart guy I really have an allergic reaction to guaranteed income. I feel like it's Silicon Valley solution for like work going away. But like work is such an important aspect of American life. Americans are workers like to their core, especially yeah. a nation of workers. We're not Italians or Greeks. You know, we cannot transition to bocce. Like this is how we de- define so much of our identity is that we work. You know, and and I actually just to say, I don't think rich kids are lazy. I think that there's conditioning there, just like with a lot of people, that removes them from that really important engine of work and drive. You know, I think that, that there. You know, and I'm not. I'm just saying, like, like it's so key. And America's only shared belief system is labor. That's the only thing that's left. So, the idea of guaranteed income. I'm like, you guys, you're gonna have to do better than that because. People need to work, I don't know, or, or something, or join my cult, you know? <laughs> I guess so when I was talking about that. rich kids being lazy, I think that there's often an accusation of people who are poor being lazy sure. if they have to be on welfare. And so that's just just juxtaposition. Yeah, yeah, totally. But yeah, I agree with you. I think I think that actually I've, my grandmother gave uh, me and my siblings an, a, a, a like thought experiment for Christmas one year. <laughs> nice. of presents. Nice. She made us write an essay on laziness. Ah. And uh, <laughs> ho and, ho ho! Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Merry Christmas. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's nice. Copied and pasted it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Copied and pasted. Yeah. 
Um, but I actually argued, and I think I still believe this, that that laziness doesn't really exist. I think that you, you uh, like you were saying, like you, most people want to be productive. They want yeah. to contribute. And if they're quote unquote lazy, it's because they lack confidence. It's because they hate themselves. It's because, you know what I mean? Like there isn't any really true such thing as that. Yeah. Um, but so, but I think people want to be motivated and that's mm-hmm. what, I, that's what interests me most about this idea of, of distributing income to people or handouts of any kind or not, you know, yeah. or like thinking that because you're struggling and, and, and it sucks and it's horrible and you have to pay more than you can afford for healthcare, is that good? Yeah, it really motivates you. You know, I would say that not knowing where my next meal is coming from is probably the most motivating thing right. that's ever happened to me. You know what I mean? Like when I had to live on my own and had to figure it out, yeah. that made me do it. Yes. Would I be able to do it without that motivation? I well, don't know. that's yeah. a great question. Uh, you know, can you have growth without um, anxiety? Like we talk about anxiety if it's, it's just like a totally bad thing, but there's okay kinds of anxiety that yeah. push you to do things because that you wouldn't do, that you have to choose between a lesser anxiety or, or evil and this one. And so you go and you go out, you know, you go and knock on that door because you're more anxious about not working. I had that when I moved to Western Mass. I ended up taking a very anxiety-producing job, but I was more anxious about not working. You yeah, know, exactly. so one anxiety yeah. was pushing me to to work. Yeah, Waylon. Um, I I would have to, dis- to disagree with the laziness point, and I'm not even talking. I I, I the, the and this is why. Yeah, I think that laziness is something that it can can affect everybody of every single race, creed, socioeconomic circumstance. I think that it's not some. It's I think that it's stereotypically, it's the narrative has been that poor people are lazy, and but deep down, I think that if 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 given the opportunity to become complacent, certain individuals will take advantage of that situation. They'll tend to that more than others. Okay. They'll, they'll tend to that more than others. And, I mean, the just just looking at how like just let's not let's let's remove let's go the exact opposite direction of this of stereotypical of the of poor being lazy. Go the opposite direction. The hedge hedge funds kind of like what you were saying the the rich hedge fund kids that don't have to work ever in their lives, and the idea of their they're not really doing anything in the sense of their money is in the stock market and they're collecting capital gains on these and they're living and they're living nice. But are they are they motivated to to do things? Well, I'm not, and I'm not saying like you said the majority of individuals want are motivated to to do do things and grow and progress as an individual and and members of society. But to what extent? And again, across the entire socioeconomic spectrum do you cater to lazy people and what to what extent can you can you say we can afford to uh, uh, we're going to give x amount of money to everybody in society but the, the and we there's if there was a scientific definition of laziness 10% of those 5% of those are going to be not contributing to society so to what degree would we allow laziness and to what degree do you abandon that and so it's just something you have to think about. I mean, aside from the idea that it's going to be the, 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 the last five weeks, we, we're talking about economic doom that's going to cost us $2 trillion in a bailout of, of everybody top down in, in you know, our United States. Andrew Yang's plan was something like 2.8 or $3 trillion a year. 
So we would have another COVID crisis like every single year and thinking about how to pay for a $2.8 trillion, uh, you know, deficit uh, with that. So just bringing it back, just honing everything in. I think that the, the, the idea that you're giving that you're, that individuals are getting kind of this universal basic income. And if, and again, just going back to the, the rules changing forever, if we were to establish that as a rule changing forever, uh, there's some really big issues that we need to address after that. So what what happens to the social programs that we have? What happens to individuals that may really need more than uh, $1,200, just as an example, and people that really don't need $1,200? Right. Well, but so, Wayland, there's there's solutions for that. I mean, that's what policy is. Okay, so what you are know, the solutions? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into the solutions right now. I have them, but you'll, yeah, you'll, exactly. you'll have to get. That's, no, but listen, I think we have to be careful that, and this is kind of what the article is saying, like, you have to be careful, it's uh, not to be so status quo that you have to, you know, if you throw me a bunch of problems and say, well, you have to figure this out, and you have to figure that out. Yeah, you have to figure, everything has to be figured out. Um, but one way to figure things out is to roll things forward and figure them out. It's not, I'm just... <clears throat> I'm not necessarily for guaranteed income, by the way. Yeah. And and if I can just make a little advertisement, which is there's other ways to fix society that if you work, you should be able to afford living in, in, in America, okay? You should not have to be on food stamps if you're working 40 hours a week. And a lot of people are. That's like corporate welfare. That's allowing the minimum wage to be too for low. Sure. You should not have to beg to get medical care when someone in your family's dying. It's gross and disgusting. There has to be tort reform in this country. Lawsuit lawyers are ruining America to a great extent. All of these things are dysregulated, non-regulated things that are destroying America. Like, I guess what I would say, yeah. I guess I guess what I would say here, and just bringing it back to will the rules change forever, I'm ho I hope that all the rules don't change forever the way that we see them right now we go back to a status quo, we analyze the things that worked and the things that didn't, and we focus on some, the incremental steps because, again, we're working in bureaucracy, incremental steps that will do this in a in a budgetarily sound way. I hope that we, we start looking at universal health care. I think that that's the first step before we start looking at $1,200 paychecks to everybody or this, that, the other thing. It's I hope that we start thinking about what our priorities are. And, and hopefully we've seen that COVID and the the appreciation of life is uh, is a real, you know, ideologically sound thing in our in our country. But I hope that d things don't change forever as the drastic steps that we changed. We go back to some sort of status quo and we and we take the, the good things that happened and we can we can realize that. Don't worry, Cumberland Farms will stay open. <laughs> Listen, Anna, yep. Anna the by the way, no one's, are, you know that no one's arguing for guaranteed income here, right? Like, I know, we got, yeah. we got really got stuck on that, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's but. okay. <laughs> you might be, yeah. Okay, okay, that's fair. Um, I, you, do you understand my problem with it? Is that yes, like, I, I yeah. completely do. I think, I think that, um, as I've heard it explained, and I, ha I truthfully haven't, haven't studied it enough to know, but... It sounds like, from what I heard Andrew Yang talking about it, that it, it isn't meant to replace your entire income. Right. And it would be meant to, it, because in most places, $1,000 a month is not going to make you a living. Mm -hmm. um, but it supplements what you have, and it makes it so that you can actually survive. And and part of it, you're right, it, it, better yet to pay people a, a, an actually living wage. Yeah. And and I would say that in a lot of cases, $15 an hour is not even anywhere near, near That's enough. Right. So, like, I think that I actually 
try to do this sort of, there's another sort of thought experiment, but like if you had only three people in the world, you know, and you lived in like a little, on a plot of land or something like that, and you had your little house and you're like, I, you know, I could really use help from this person to do this job. But really, if you had just three people in the whole world, would you really feel okay giving that person something anywhere right. less than, than what it would, you know, would your time ever be more valuable than that person's time? That's what we're saying. When we pay somebody less than we make, or if we, you know, you're, you're just saying like, whatever yeah. it is that you're doing is not worth as much as whatever it is that I'm doing. Cause we all have the same amount of time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so like, it, it's really weird to, to value any, to, that any, I mean, I understand there's like educational differences and you've worked harder to gain your degrees and things like that. So like, I guess you have to build in some differences in the system, but it doesn't, Ever make sense for it well, to be? Well, and also, by the way, Wayland, let me just jump in. Yeah, go ahead. You know, conceivably, uh, education shouldn't be the factor on which who gets paid more. It should be how unpleasant the work is. Yeah, yeah, true. Right yeah. there. So, Planet Money, go listen to the po- best podcast of all time. But Norm, you would have loved today's episode. It was how it, it's life versus life versus the cost of COVID. Okay, mm-hmm. and. It looks at, and this is the actual government does this through policies from seatbelts to um, to the warning labels uh, on flammable substances. A certain individual's life is worth X. The cost of implementation is cost Y. X is greater or less than Y. So the example that that they they gave exactly what I was talking about was the idea of flammable labels. The government used this formula at first that was one life equals $300,000 because the only thing that they looked at was the output of, a, of, of how much the individual would make on the average mm-hmm. if, they, if they died at whatever. Yep. The, so their calculation was, was X, the, the labels were Y, and the labels ended up be costing more. We didn't have labels. They went back, they re- re- revised the formula, and... Uh, long story short, the the cost of uh, a human life as lost by COVID is ten million dollars. That's what it is currently. Yep. The cost of of um, of shutting down the government for X amount of days slash months, the the cost of human the cost in the actual actual economic terms of human life is so much more. It's like fourteen trillion dollars versus shutting down the government which it has cost us $2 trillion, and we'll see. It's probably m- much more than that because of the economic. We, ha- we still have to crunch the numbers. But there is this certain idea of economics that play, even when it comes to just life and the risks that we're taking. And they actually calculated the risks of that based on you should get more if you're a um, healthcare worker that is, uh, that is li- whose life is at risk because you're you're constantly interacting with individuals that may have that that may be exposed to COVID, hence you might die. There should be a higher pay for a police officer. There should be a higher pay for a firefighter who may be going out. So the idea that equal pay and equal time equals equal work, there there's so many variables there, and I and I, and I I wouldn't say necessarily that. And again, I'm not trying to disrespect anybody that is, for instance, a a cashier risk but the thing that i would say is that all jobs are not equal and time is not equal at each job 
we we've gone to the point where where our like ceo pay and everything is totally crazy we yeah. could go there but not all not all work is equal is what i would say yeah absolutely now let me ask you anna if i can what's a rule that you want to question coming out of this that could be really pedestrian but like kind of a, like something that like you've accepted before as a mom and as a wife and as a worker and all these things that you would be like, you know what, I'm not doing this after this. Like, I'm not talking about guaranteed income necessarily or anything big. Yeah. Is there something, and you can marinate on this in a second, but, my, yeah. you know, because Robin and I have been talking about, like, well, what's our life going to look like after this? Like, what things are we going to, do we really want to just jump right back in? Because I actually don't really want to jump right back in right now. Do you have yeah. anything that you would change and be like, are you questioning living in New York long term? Yeah. or? I, mean, I, I absolutely am. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely am. Um, and I definitely, I think the thing I think about the most is just like the time I spend with my kids and how I spend a lot of time in New York rushing and not paying attention to them as much as I would like to. But I think that's true of anywhere for any parent who yeah. works. And I mean, I don't think that that would necessarily change, but I do find myself loving the fact that they're home, even though it's difficult to homeschool them and, and work at the same time, it's very hard to get it done, but I love seeing them more and I want to simplify our lives a lot more. And I, I don't, I don't want to go back. Like you're saying, like, I definitely don't want to go back in many ways to the way we were living before. So yeah, I talked about that yesterday. We, we were talking about what if we just moved out of New York? I think a lot of people will. And I, Do you I think wonder, a lot of people will? Yeah, I'm always I'm wondering that. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of wonder, I mean, I wonder what that will do to the value of the, you know, house that we have. And like, I wonder about what, what's going to come economically. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen after this. And there are some changes that I would definitely welcome. And I, even if it's to the detriment of us financially, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like, which is yeah, probably what, right, right. you know, yeah, uh, and that's okay. But like, if, if I, I would trade a lot for better quality of life now more than ever before like I, I i feel like that's pretty solidified in my mind that's cool and i don't think you're unusual on that i think a yeah. lot of people because we what we have here is a combination of like whoa life is short you know yeah. like there are real threats out there and and now we've been brought to a pause where we really kind of are with each other i was kind of dreading it a little bit i thought this is going to be the longest snow day of my life but <laughs> you know after about a week i'm like we're having fun and we yeah. have a lot of fun and I do not have a stressful life. You can always move in our studio back here. We'd love to have you here. Like, you should move here. Let's get you up here. Waylon, is there anything that you'll do differently? I know the answer is no. <laughs> but go ahead and try to answer the question. <laughs> Waylon's going to be I, like, uh, I want to interrupt you. Waylon's going to be like, okay. um, one rule that I'm going to do differently is I'm going to get the 36 ounce iced coffee after this because the 24 <laughs> ounce is just. Yeah, like, <laughs> so I have to go out less. <laughs> <laughs> okay so no i mean i i i actually entirely agree with you i think that we're going to see a um a resurgence of suburban sprawl i think that be one because we're we're like wow we are like just the awareness of being like wow we're way too close to each other like in all aspects of what's going on and two uh, because we've understood that we can do a lot of things remotely. So I uh -huh. think that that's going to cause suburban sprawl. But at the same time, that's a that's a movement of the middle class. We're not we, there's a lot of people in this. We've also understood that there's a lot of people that can't afford a move such as that. Yeah. Um, but uh, well, can I yeah, so I, I agree yeah. on those premises. Uh -huh. 
again, I think that what people are yearning for is a return to normalcy. And that can be either uh, intentionally or unintentionally uh, construed as a return to the status quo. And so that's why I always come back to the center. That's why I'm always like, things are going to return to normal, even if uh, we don't want them to, because what normal was, was was not us having to, you know, like I, I'm drinking beers tonight with a, with my friends over Zoom and doing trivia. Like yeah. every Thursday, I get to hang out with them at Arizona Pizza Company down the road. I want to do that. And the, the minute that I can, I'm going to do that. Yeah. And I, I, and I yeah. think that that's how a lot of people also are are thinking as well. I, I get it, Waylon. If I, they have the money to do so. I get it. I get it. Although, by the way, if the middle class or upper class leaves the cities, that's going to be really hard, actually, on the employment levels in the city that remain because yeah. so much of those are service jobs. I mean, you can't even do the math on this. But um, I, I'm going to hypnotize you, Waylon, so that you can take over. And you are now about to cue music as I get the light on the... Why is this so cue hard? Music. Why is it so hard? Cue music. Well, you've spent another little bit of time uh, with the I'm not hypnotized uh, yet, buddy. About it. Just cue the music. <laughs> I can't get it right. Um, Anna, thanks so much for coming on with us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you and miss you guys. You guys are awesome. And Robin is just like, I talked to Anna today. I talked to Anna today. And she's like, doing cartwheels. She just loves talking with you. And why wouldn't she? I love talking to Robin mostly. And give that ham bone a big hug for me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, guys, and thanks, Whale Dog, for all the work that you're doing. And this has been the Free Associates. We have our Facebook page. You may be listening on WMUA Amherst. And we have the freeassociates.us. We're going to keep plowing through these political predictions. I feel a little bad because these predictions were made like eight weeks ago. Uh, the political obviously gave their writers like, we need this in an hour. And they're like, oh, and now here we are two, eight weeks later. I mean, like, this guy's an idiot. But it makes actually, my job easy. I just go, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. <laughs> Nothing's going to change. Well, we'll see. It's all recorded and will never be lost. So predictions are dangerous. Anyways, thanks so much for joining us on The Free Associates, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. And clear. That's my stage freeze, Anna. Do you like that? <laughs> stage freeze is good. <laughs> Fell out of place. (laughs) Thanks so much for doing it. Uh, Whale Dog, you went crazy on that episode.